Hey, welcome to the Born of the Moon podcast. This is Hannah speaking, and today I'm going to be reviewing The Dark and the Wicked, which came out November 9th of 2020, directed by Brian Bertino. And first, right off the bat, I just want to say, highly recommend this movie. It is incredible. It's streaming on Shudder, but there are hard copies available. Uh, they're a bit hard to find, but I mean, this movie is worth the search. It's a very bleak but tense and intriguing movie. I'd have to say that the uh, the quote-unquote cold open is the most boring part, but once it gets going, I mean, it just holds your attention like an oncoming train. Like, you, once you're hooked, <laughs> that's it. It's gotcha. It's a wonderful small cast, great writing, and I just, I love the mysteriousness of the horror. And the Texas accents are just a big bonus. I love the Texas accents in this in this movie. Um, this is directed, like I said, by Brian Bertino, who also directed The Strangers. I believe that came out in 2008. Um, but that's a home invasion movie. Very big, very famous, amazing movie. Great reviews on that one. And there's a, there's a famous line in that movie um, where the strangers have the couple that they're tormenting in their living room and these mass strangers are standing there and the wife says, why are you doing this? And it's kind of quiet for a second. And one of the strangers says, because you were home. And it's, this is that kind of a movie where it's just disaster, torment, horror for just no apparent reason. It's kind of like this movie is asking, why are you doing this? But like at life. And I love that. Um, the director is definitely exploring that theme again, but in a different and extremely relatable way. It's just that sort of, why are you doing this? But like with a different flavor and coming at it from a different angle. So it's, and he does it amazingly well. There's good, good tension throughout. Like I said, love the characters. This, this setting is incredible because it's this big open setting on a Texas farm. And even though it's so open, it just gives it such an empty, hopeless feeling. And that just kind of permeates throughout the tone and the atmosphere so well. Just highly recommend. Wonderful movie. The, there's not much comic relief to it, but that's not necessarily a criticism. Like I said, everything about this movie is kind of bleak, hopeless, kind of feeling trapped in this situation, which is very, once you get into it, it's very relatable. So that's the end of the non-spoiler review section. I'm going to go ahead into the spoilers, but first, of course, the trigger warning. Like I said in the last episode, I'm always going to try to be looking out for obvious triggers. This one has the very obvious trigger of suicide. So if suicide just doesn't sit well with you, if you don't like seeing it, hearing about it, this movie is not for you at all. <laughs> Stay away from this movie if suicide is a trigger for you. So the movie begins with an older lady who we find out later is the mom of the family. She's like fixing and making things at night. There's some tension on the second go around. I noticed more details that became more prevalent once I like actually watched the movie. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh my gosh, I totally missed that. So if I were you, I would pay attention even though my first go around, I did not pay attention at all. I won't lie. I think 
part of it was I didn't expect this to be a good movie for whatever reason, or I didn't expect it to hold my interest. So in the afterward, I was like, man, I really didn't pay attention to that cold open, which I should have. And especially on rewatches, I've noticed like, oh, damn, I really missed out a lot. So do be paying attention. Uh, even if the movie's not really holding your interest at the moment, you might miss something. So this uh, cold open kind of just sets up the, the setting. So there's the mom, there's a sick man who we find out is the dad of the family and the husband. And the mom's just kind of checking things out. Here's the noise, yada, yada. She's humming a tune to herself, singing a song under her breath. And it ends with a chair pushing out at the mom. And then it cuts to day, cuts to Monday. And I think that's a really fun thing about this movie is it's broken up by days. First, it'll tell you, you know, what day of the week it is. Then it'll show you the day events of that day. And then it shows you what happened that night, which is just a really, really different and fun thing to do. I think it's a very interesting aspect of this movie and I think it gives it kind of a, a sense of time going somewhere, time ending at some point. So it kind of, you, you kind of feel the clock running on this movie, like for, as far as the characters go. Like you're not really, you're not really sure what day of the week it will end on, but you're like, this movie is counting down to something. So that's really cool and it kind of gives you some more more tension, more anxiety for the characters. So we get to day and the daughter and the son and the family are coming home. They're adult kids, um, maybe in their 30s or 40s or something like that. And uh, Louise is the daughter and her, her brother is named Michael. So Louise and Michael have showed up at their parents' house um, just to be with their parents, it seems, you know. The dad's sick, that's very obvious. Throughout the movie, we see that he's not really capable of taking care of himself. He's kind of in a coma. And so the mom's taking care of him, and the kids want to come help. They show up, and the mom's not happy about it. She's like, I told y'all not to come. And they're like, well, of course we're going to come. Like, your dad's sick, and you need help, sort of a thing. But the mom is very adamant, like, y'all shouldn't have come. So after being reprimanded by her mother for coming to help, she goes outside to find Michael and Charlie. And I love Charlie. I I was so confused about his presence the first go around. Like I was like, who is this man? How does he relate? They're not calling him Uncle Charlie. And he's not their dad. Their dad's the sick dude. So who is this guy? And he just seems like a friendly neighbor, you know, someone who they grew up around. It's just kind of one of those small town things where, oh yeah, everybody grows up around each other, knows each other, and Charlie's there helping Michael fix the tractor, and Charlie is just a gem of a human being. I absolutely love him. I would love to have him as my grandpa, too. Just saying. He's got that very grandfatherly atmosphere, just a very comforting character, and I love his... I love him. I love that he's here in this movie, and I also just love their house for some reason. It's got the weirdest like farmhouse rustic aesthetic but like updated rustic so it's not really rust it's just really cool to look at I just love how how it is so Louise goes out and she's talking to Charlie and Michael and it just kind of helps set the tone and the dynamics between everybody 
and it kind of helps you see where we're at in this process. Clearly, the dad is not doing well. He hasn't been doing well for a while. Charlie has been stepping in to help out with the farm stuff so the mom can take care of the dad. And it, it shows you that we're definitely at the place where the dad is, you know, he, he's officially, he's dying. Um, so they, after the scene, it cuts to them having a quiet, awkward dinner where the mom is clearly not okay. She has like a mini breakdown and just like, like the son's like, oh, it'll be okay. And she's like, what's going to be okay? And then she's like, told y'all not to come. And she goes running out of the room and you're like, oh gosh. And it's not funny at all. It's very awkward and very sad. And you're like, why doesn't she want them there? So the siblings go and they have a chat outside. And they're kind of, like, of the same mindset, like, you know, Michael's like, well, maybe she's just processing things, you know, everybody processes things different, Louise is like, is that what she was doing, processing things, and he's like, well, I don't, I don't fucking know, like, I'm just here, and it's great, because from there, we see that they're, they, they have chats about their life, and they don't really keep in touch with each other, it seems, and they, they definitely seem like they have a very familiar relationship. Like they were at one time close, but it's very distant now and a little strained. So they've definitely, as they've grown up, they seem to have grown apart. Like he asks her, uh, you still working at the post office? She goes, not anymore. And <laughs> just the line delivery is so good. It's so funny. And it's probably, this is probably the lightest moment in the movie, like, just the easiest to deal with, and the most fun, as far as fun goes, um, so definitely enjoy it while it lasts, so then we cut to, you know, they're getting ready for bed, and Michael's like, I'm gonna go take a shower, and his ma's like, you know, told you not to come, and she's like, it's not what you think, and he's like, what do you mean, sort of a thing. And she just doesn't go any further with it. Like, she stops talking. And she, you know, she's been singing this song under her breath. Something like, every trials and temptations is how it starts. And then it just kind of, like, goes off into some weird, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. So then later on in the night, because the mother, she spends her night doing her thing whatever that is she does some sewing and a lot of cutting vegetables and that's what she happens to be doing while the siblings are asleep and she's just cutting these carrots and then she's cutting these carrots and it's like the way the movie is cutting back and forth between the cutting board and her expression you can just tell like oh no this is not gonna end well and it cuts you know she's cutting faster and the camera's cutting faster and of course, she slices into her fingers, and holy shit, does she slice the fuck out of her fingers. It's it's not one of those, like, oops, cut myself. She just keeps slicing into them, and she slices them, like, halfway down, and then just goes back up and starts slicing the fuck out of the digits she cut off already, and she's, like, crying, and she just looks ag agonized, like she's in complete anguish, just slicing the shit out of her fingers. Oh, it's so gross. It's so good. And things just amp up from there. Like, that's just the starting point. So it says, you know, it cuts to Tuesday. It's day. You know, you see the blood on the floor and the kids go running around looking for their ma. And, th and they're, of course, freaking out. I mean, they saw the kitchen. They saw her fingers. They're like, mom, wondering where the heck she is. And she's not answering. So then they run out 
into the property to kind of search around. And, oh man, it's so good the way the music is. The music is just, it adds so much intensity. It's like this weird drum beat with this weird, like, I don't even know what to call it in the background. It's so good. And it's zooming in out of Louise and where she is. And it's backing up into the barn. And as it backs up into the barn, so then we see the mom's feet dangling and you realize, oh my gosh, she hung herself. Like I said, suicide warning. This is not even the last one. So the kids are distraught. They run into the barn and they just, they, they cut their mom down and they, they, you know, they try their best, but it is of course too late. And then we don't do any night stuff this night. It just cuts to Wednesday and the kids are sitting at the table in silence doing their thing, smoking and drinking coffee or whatever. And we see Charlie, he's being just A1, the best, out in the field and over by the herds, just doing chores for them and trying not to cry. And I'm like, man, what what a man. That's the kind of guy you want in your life who's like just there to be there for you and just doing the hard stuff for you. And it's hard for him too. Like, he, like I said, he's trying not to cry. So clearly it's he's hurt by this too but he's still out there helping them it's just lovely I just love Charlie so then the nurse comes in and she officially becomes a character you know we saw her the first day in the background but she didn't say anything but she she comes in she has stuff to say now and boy do I have thoughts on this nurse I love the character of the nurse and I just I, there's so much there that you can interpret from what she says and what she does and where her character goes. It's um, it's so incredible to me. I, I just, I, I could spend an entire podcast episode on all of the thoughts that I have on this nurse character and what she represents to this movie. It is insane. But she comes in, she lets them know she made them a roast, which... I'm very confused about. Um, usually in situations like this, you get like casseroles maybe, um, but a whole roast. Very confused by that. Is that like a Texas thing? I don't know. But she says she made them a roast and then she admits that their mom was talking to someone other than their dad or something. Bam, bam, bam. But actually it's kind of scary. Like it's, you know, it's done very seriously. So she offers to have someone come and take care of their dad overnight since that's what the mom was doing and now that she is not there anymore, you know, she's like, you know, it might help if someone comes and Michael's like, well, if we take him to the hospital, would that change anything? But Luis is like, no, I'll take care of him. This is what they wanted. And Michael just kind of, you know, you can see he don't want to do that, but he gives in. They go to work around the farm and then the siblings have a, this moment at this goat graveyard where they're driving back from one of their fields with Charlie and Louise wants to stop for some reason and Charlie's like, yeah, I started burying some of my favorites up here, you know, just something I did and then the siblings are talking and Louise is like, who is she talking to? And Michael's like, don't do that, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And he says, he straight up says to her, he goes, 
he she made herself die and she's like michael and i was like same maybe say it a little nicer like i get that you're mad at the situation like that's you know the stage of grief he's in or whatever but like geez calm down and then he stomps off and uh, she goes and has a good cry on Charlie's shoulders and he just holds her and it's so sweet. And then they go home and it's night and Louise is taking a shower. She hears the door open and she's like, I need three fucking minutes. And she opens the shower and her dad is standing there. It's her comatose dad and his face is all like, ooh, it's so gross looking. And then he freaking pees himself. It cuts to him like shaking his head all possession like. And then it cuts to his leg and you just see urine running down his leg. And she's screaming naked in the corner of the shower on the floor. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so horrifying. Like there's something about being naked in the shower and like something coming in. Like that's just horrible. Like that's that's a first of all that's a low blow on the entity or the killer like ugh, just a low blow man wait till I have clothes on wait till I'm not in a confined space but that's you know I guess it would be a great time to scare someone or murder them so she's on the floor screaming for Michael and Michael comes in and sees her naked and she's just sobbing on the bathroom floor naked in the shower and he just like kind of was like oh uh like slides it back on out of there <laughs> I was like he actually is pretty nice about the whole thing like my brothers would have been like yeah and then you called me in there for fucking nothing and now I have to bleach my eyeballs because I saw you naked and they would have made like a huge deal about it but he doesn't he's real sweet about it like even afterwards like she's like I thought he was there so I feel so stupid I'm gonna go have a smoke and he's like I'll come out there with you and she's like I don't want to talk about it so she goes out there and the brother stays with his dad for a hot second and a little booklet falls out from under the mattress and he picks it up and turns out it's uh, his mom's diary and uh, it's a interesting sort of a read like you know if you're into like Stephen King horror thoughts of an insane person that's kind of what this reads like like, it, it goes into detail about, you know, it, it's killing him, it's killing David, and I think it ends with devil, 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 and then it cuts to Thursday, and they do a little bit more reading from the diary, and they're out, I think they're in the shop where the mom makes dresses, or they're in the barn or something, I can't remember where exactly, but the brother's talking, and he's like, how'd she get up there like that, you know, because she was hanging a good few feet off the air, and he was like, there was no stool, you know, the detective, the police officer said it was that tub, that's how she got up there, but you moved it so we could get her down, so how'd she get up there? And then Louise reads some more from the diary, and he's like, he asked her to stop several times, because it's, you know, it's disturbing, no one wants to hear that their mother's last thoughts were kind of insane ramblings, like, that could be read out of a horror novel, and, like, I get it, I get it, I wouldn't want to, I don't wouldn't want to hear that either. So then they go to the morgue to identify the mom's body and fill out the paperwork and the guy working the morgue lets them see the body because small town. He clearly knows Michael and Michael thanks him 
for letting them do this, even though they're not really supposed to, or it's not normal or something like that. And he said, oh, the more guy says, oh, I thought you, you might like these. And he hands him a baggie, like a Ziploc baggie of just crosses. And Louise is like, what are, what are these from? And he's like, I don't know. They, he's like, they used to give them out in Sunday school when I used to go. And Louise is trying to find a nice way to say that, like, her mom's not a believer. And she goes, she's just like, she, uh, she, she didn't, she didn't go. (laughs) It's it's like the randomest way to put that. She didn't go. Like, at first, it's not funny. But, like, in retrospect, to me, it's funny. So then it's nighttime and Louise is taking care of her dad. And he, like, starts coughing and a spider comes out of him. And she's like, oh my gosh, and starts smacking the sheets. And she's just smacking the f- the absolute fuck out of her dad. Like, she's just smacking him, smacking him, smacking him, trying to get the spider. And Michael comes in, and he's like, uh, is everything okay? And she's like, there was a spider. And he's like, all right. And he's like, did you get it? And she's like, yeah, it's gone. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go to bed. So he goes to bed, and he's in the bedroom, and the lights are off, and of course, he gets to have his creepy moment. He lights her off, and they switch back on. And he gets up, and he turns them off again. And then they switch back on. He gets up, and he turns them off again. And then he sees his mom outside the window. And she is floating there, naked. And I just, I have to say, my older brother would so be out of there at that point. Like... Not only did I have to see you naked, but I saw our dead mom naked. I am not sticking around, which at this point I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, please don't go, but I would get it. I would get it. Like, you you, you saw our dead mom naked. Seeing mom naked alive would probably make him want to die. But seeing her dead and naked and so like haunting him and naked, it's the worst combination. I feel pretty confident he would be so gone after that. And the music in this segment, like, when he sees her, it's just, oh, it's just kiss, amazing. I absolutely love it. So then we cut to Friday in the day, and Louise wakes up, and there's, like, makeup on her face, and she's like, what the heck? And it kind of looks like blood at first, but she scrubs it off pretty quick, runs back into the room, because she sleeps in the same bed as her dad. She runs back into the room, and He's got lipstick in his hand, and then there's a phone call and from the house phone, and Louise goes to answer it, and it's her mom's voice on the phone. She just goes, I told y'all not to come, and then she, Louise hangs up, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's the worst. <laughs> that that would be, ooh, ooh. I'm, I'm impressed she didn't just throw the phone out the window, because that's probably what I would have done. So then Michael is coming back home, presumably from the grocery store, and uh, we see a man standing in the rain at the end of his driveway, staring him down as he's driving up. And first of all, everyone, if you see a man standing in the rain, it's a man you don't know, and he's standing in the rain waiting for you, you do not have to talk to that man. You can just drive right by him. You can just drive away. You can call 911. You can do a lot of things. You probably don't need to talk to that man because that is fucking weird. That is so, so not normal. That man is insane. So he's, there's this man waiting in the rain for him. It's this preacher looking dude. 
And so not only is this guy who waiting in the rain for Michael, when Michael pulls up to him, is like, can I help you? Because he doesn't recognize this guy. The guy calls him by name and then hands him a little tiny cross. And he says, you look like your mother. And if that is the reaction you get from the man waiting in the rain, definitely just pull out of there and drive away. Don't, you don't have to talk to him. Oh, I forgot something at the grocery store. Something, just get out of there as soon as possible because that, that's not okay on so many levels. It was already not okay before, but it's even worse now. We're on a whole different level of, holy shit, this guy's fucking weird. So then we cut to the preachers in their house reading excerpts from the mom's diary and he explains, you know, that the mom was alone and he knew she needed a friend so he was coming to visit with her. And they're like, listen, she doesn't believe in God or anything but she believed that there was a devil here, you know, that the devil was coming for our dad and he's like, well, what does it matter if you believe? And he gives the coolest line ever he says you think a wolf cares if you believe it's a wolf not if he finds you out alone in the woods and i'm like oh ooh, just the way he delivers that line too like my impression does not do it justice Ooh, gave me chills the first time i heard it because he's absolutely right like it doesn't matter you can believe the train's not there but if you're laying on the tracks and the train is, it doesn't really matter if you believe or not, you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of his point, and, you know, Michael's like, oh, is that your truth? You know, you told her your truth, you filled her head full of shit, and he's like, I didn't mean to upset you, and he's like, yeah, well, you do, and he pretty much kicks the preacher guy out, but as he's leaving, he says, you know, you really think the devil's out there? And as he leaves, he gives us a really good line. And I was like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, man, this is the perfect setup for the perfect creepy line. I hope to God he says it. And he does as he's leaving. And he goes, he goes, devil's not out there. The devil's already here. And he leaves. And you're like, that's like the last thing you want to hear from the creepy man waiting for you in the rain who knows your name. Like, if you didn't think you were fucked before, that just sealed the deal. You're definitely screwed. Sorry, not sorry. Maybe start planning your own funeral. So that night, Michael, uh, he, he gets on the phone with his wife. And uh, he's talking to her about, you know, how fucked the whole situation is. And he says, you know, mom's mom was all I had left. Even though he has his sister, Louise. So clearly they, you know... He doesn't have a good enough relationship with her to really give a shit. So Louise goes out to the barn and reads the diary around the goats while it's storming, which is a great atmosphere. Absolutely love it. And then the kids are talking on the porch, and Michael ad finally admits to seeing his mom's ghost, which Louise, of course, believes in because she's been seeing shit too, so... So they commiserate on that for a second and then it cuts to they're both asleep and then they hear a wolf howling and that's like a really cool motif in this movie even at the beginning. Like I said, I, the cold open becomes more important after you watch the movie and the mom's sitting there at the sink and she can hear the wolves howling on that night before the kids get there. And so it's the same here. There's the wolf howling and they look out the window and it's the preacher guy. And he's going, you should come outside. 
you should not go outside <laughs> if the creepy man standing in the rain who knows your name, you never met him before, is outside of your house in the middle of the night telling you you should come outside. You should not go outside. You should call the police. You should get your gun. You should do a lot of things. But going outside is not one of them. And so he says to Michael a couple times, you should come outside. And Louise is like, wait. And he goes, don't wait. And I'm like, oh, no. Just sent ooh chills down down to my soul when he's like, don't wait. I'm like, oh my gosh, run, go get your gun. But Michael opens the door and he goes out there. And as he's like, you know, they're looking at this preacher. She gets a flashlight out and shines it on the light on his face, and you can see his face is all messed up. His eyes don't have any pupils or color in them. And then Michael rushes out there. Or no, the yeah, he, like, rushes out there, and the guy's gone, and he's like, he's not out here, and you're like, oh my gosh, and then the phone rings, and he's like, don't answer that phone, so she, Louise runs up to it, and takes it off the hook, and slams it back down, and then pulls the phone off the wall, and pulls the cord out of the phone, and for those of you who have never had a landline, they have to be connected to that cord in order for calls to come in or go out. So she has killed the phone temporarily. And it cuts to who's actually calling them. It's not the dead mom. It's Charlie. And oh, rest in peace, Charlie. I miss you already. He's being attacked by the thing, you know, and he's like, what do you want? Just say it. And then he starts hearing a bunch of voices and he's blows his own brains out. And you're like, oh, no. Charlie not Charlie he didn't even do anything guys he was just being the best <sighs> so then it cuts to Saturday day and they decide that they need to move their dad to a hospital and while Michael is kind of off in the field doing stuff with the goats Louise calls the preacher and the preacher is like, who is this? And she's like, I'm Louise Straker. I'm, you know, out in Thurber, Thurber, Texas. And he's like, I've never even been to Texas. You called my hotel in Detroit. And it's very clear that he doesn't know her. Or he's the thing fucking with her. One or the other. And I still haven't decided which. But either way, that's not a road that's going anywhere. So she hangs up the phone. And then the doctor comes to assess their dad, and he, you know, does his little doctory things. He's, like, listening to his lungs and his heart or whatever. And he's like, I can't let you move him. I doubt he'd even make it to the highway. Like, he's going to die if we try to move him. And Louise and Michael are like, we have to move him. It's not safe. And he, they're like, you're not listening. And he's like, I'm trying, but I can't just let you kill him. And so the answer is a hard no. Everyone's upset. There's a shot of the sheep and the goats, which is kind of metaphorical throughout the movie. And then the nurse is having a talk with just Michael. And, you know, Michael admits to the nurse that his mom thought something was coming for his dad. And that's when the nurse has a talk with Michael about, you know, she's a believer. And she's like, I know y'all don't believe in God and that's fine. But there are things out there wicked things and they come for whoever they want and that's kind of the theme of the story you know it's that's where the whole you know why are you doing this but at you know evil or at life or whatever 
you know, why are you doing this? Because I can, because, because you are home, you know, that's the, that's the motive of the wicked thing. It just, it chooses who it wants and it just doesn't stop. And so I think that that's person, like I said at the beginning, I think that it's very relatable. Like we, everybody has things that happen to them in their life where they're like, why is this happening to me? Or why did this happen to so-and-so or whatever, whatever. And the answer is, just because there's some wicked evil things out there and that's just kind of the motive is it's just evil so then we cut to there's a goat running through the field running toward the house and it's got three legs one of its legs has clearly been ripped off and they go and they find by they i mean louise and Michael go and they find all of the sheep and all of the goats pretty much have been just absolutely slaughtered and not even eaten, and they've just been slaughtered and kind of like turned inside out. It's really gross and really cool. And Louise makes the comment, you know, wolves wouldn't do this, not like this. So then Michael's like, I'll call another hospital, get another doctor here tomorrow. And then Louise is like, she told us not to come. And then Michael just is like, God damn it, into the universe. And I'm like, yes, hey, Michael, that's a whole mood. So then it cuts to that night, and Michael and Louise are talking on the porch. So Michael says he's going to go and sit with the goats and the sheep that are left. And he says there's like five, but one of them is a mama that's got a baby due. So he's like, I'm going to go sit with them. And Louise clearly does not want to be left alone. And she begs him to stay. And he's like, no, I'm gonna, if I'm here, I'm going to work. And she's like, well, let me go with you. And he's like, you got to stay with dad. And he's like, you know, something that nurse said stuck with me. And it wasn't even the right thing. He says, nothing, there's nothing worse than a soul left alone in the end. And I was like, she also told you that a soul needs love to protect it. So maybe you should have held on to that nugget and things would have ended up better. But no, he had, he clung to the wrong thing god damn it michael so then michael goes to the barn and he was right the mama goat has her baby goat it's very cute i love it a lot even from afar and then michael is out in the barn and he sees his dead mom naked walking toward him and he pulls out his pocket knife his pocket knife and on my third watch through i was like okay where are all the guns in this movie? There's one gun. Charlie had it. He blew his brains out with it. Why have not, why, why have Michael and Louise not gone and got their gun? Because this is a Texas household, a Texas farm. There's no way they don't have at least one gun in that household. They're in the middle of nowhere in Texas. They are goat and sheep farmers in Texas. You don't just not have a gun of some sort. But he pulls out his knife gets confronted by the mom ghost thing and it's really strange because he almost kills himself with the knife and he kind of stops himself and is like that's weird he's very shaken so he goes back inside and as he's going back to his room Louise sees him so then she decides you know okay everything's you know it's, it's kind of a relieving moment for her so she's like feels safe enough to go try to sleep but the wicked is there and it's whispering in her dad's ear and she can hear it kind of. So she goes to confront it like she can't take it anymore and she turns to confront it and her dad is just gone. And then she turns 
and lays on her back and her dad's like on the ceiling and then she wakes up from her dream and you're like oh thank god it was just a dream and then you get the cut of oh it's Sunday day now and so she wakes up from her dream she's you know panting and everything she calls out for Michael and she can't find him and then there's a knock on the door and there's a young lady standing there and she says she's Charlie's granddaughter and she's like my mama wanted someone over here to know that Charlie shot him and Charlie died. And she's like, what? Charlie died. And she's like, yeah, he shot himself. And she's like, that can't be. And they're like, yeah, they found his body. And she's, Louise at this point is freaking out. She can't find Michael. Charlie is dead. Those were her two lifelines. They're gone. So she's like, um, why don't you come inside? I just want to check on my dad. I'm so glad someone's here. I just just want to check on my dad. Why don't you come inside? And Charlie's granddaughter is like, it's, it's just that, like, do you smell him? And when she says that, you're like, oh, fuck off. You son of a bitch. Louise thought she was talking to a normal person and you just suddenly turned like that. Fuck you, you stupid, evil, wicked thing. And then, of course, the granddaughter, who's really the wicked thing, gets all weird and mystically disappears. And then the nurse shows up and she's like, sorry, I told Michael I'd be late. And Louise is like completely ignoring her pretty much. And so the nurse kind of just goes into the room and Louise tries to call Michael. And this is something I noticed on rewatching it. She only gets through to him when she reconnects the house phone and calls him from the house phone. And it turns out Michael, he just vamoosed. He decided to leave. He's like, yeah, I've been driving all night. And she's like, how can, she's like, what? And as they're talking, we see that the nurse is like actively knitting like she's been doing. But then she stops and she makes this face that you're like, what the fuck? Because she's clearly listening to something and she's like smiling faintly in the creepiest, most vacant way. And you're like, um, this is not good. And as Louise is talking to Michael, he just goes full douchebag. And she's like, how could you leave me? You know, da 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 da. And he's like, I love Becky. I love my girls. Like, and the way he says it is such a slap in the face. Like, he doesn't care about her. And he's, she's like, what about dad? Do you even get shit about him? And he's like, dad's gone. And he tells her, we don't matter. And she's like, yes, we do. And then he's like, we don't. And he's like, you need to leave. And then he hangs up on her. And that's it from Michael as far as she's concerned and you're just like oh my goodness poor Louise like she just got abandoned with this wicked thing the nurse wasn't even talking to her so she didn't hear the whole a soul needs love to keep it safe so Michael's the only one with the key to success here and he freaking left so as she's like crying on the floor and then we hear the nurse scream and holy shit, she stuck herself with her knitting needles and she's like pulling it out of her cheek. And Louise is just like having the worst day, like Louise and the no good, awful, bad, worst day ever. And the nurse is like, why don't you hear him? And then she tells her she needs to get out and like slams her head against the door and knocks Louise out and then drags Louise out of the room. And then she just kills the fuck out of herself with the needles it is brutal she like stabs herself in both the eyes and clearly she's hit her brain on that one and she stabs herself in the stomach and she's just oh ooh. 
Whew. Just the worst way to go. And then we cut to Michael gets home. And he walks into his kitchen and he sees that his family has died. His wife slit his children's throats and then slit her own throat. So, of course, Michael cannot handle that. He takes his knife out and he follows Becky's lead and he slits his own throat. But psych! The wicked gotcha, Michael. He, uh, he like, blinks and it's all gone. It was all on his head. Which sucks for him because his family... Well, it sucks for his family because they come in just after he stops twitching. So his wife finds his dead body literally, like, seconds too late. It's horrifying. Like, just thinking about being that wife. <sighs> just... Oh, no, thank you. And then it cuts to the phone rings at the farm, which wakes Louise up. So she wakes up and is... She doesn't answer the phone. But she goes and she talks to her dad and she apologizes to him because she's about to leave. And she stumbles out the door and falls down the front porch steps. But then she hears her dad coughing. And like you can see, she, she just can't do it. And that's, I mean, you go, Louise. Good for you. She goes back inside and the candle that is next to her dad's bed is still lit. And Louise tells her dad she won't leave him. And then she hears Michael screaming, and he screams again, and he screams, Louise, help me! And she's like, at first she's kind of like, oh, maybe it's Michael, but then she realizes it's the wicked, and she's like, fuck off. And then the candle goes out, and she tells her dad that she loves him, and she asks him not to leave. Um, but then he breathes last, and that's the last of her dad, and... Louise sobs, and then as she's sobbing, it's interrupted by her mom singing that freaking awful song. And then you just know, like, it cuts, and Louise screams, and the wicked strikes one last time, and that's the end of the movie. Like I said, not a very, um, like, fun, fun movie. Like, not, like, killing people for fun or anything like that. Like, this is, like, a very... Very brutal, somber, bleak movie. And I do... So it's like, it's all those things. It's very bleak. It's very somber. It definitely has things to say. But this is in no way, shape, or form elevated horror. Like, elevated horror is very like, Oh, look at this. We're trying to say things. Look at all the things we're trying to say. Look at all of these metaphors. Look at how much you have to read into this. But with this, it's very like... It's very old school, meaningful horror. Where it's just like you're in the situation and you you have to think about it on your own to read into it which I love and I, I love both like I love the Babadook but I also love things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre you know or uh, Night of the Living Dead that have social commentary without as being so in your face about it and I don't know necessarily if it has social commentary but it does have commentary on things you know, like, there's so many ways you can interpret this movie. You know, it's like that quote from The Lion King, bad things happen and there's nothing you can do about it, so why bother? Which is Michael's kind of mindset. And, it, you know, it's, it's to a certain extent it's true. Bad things happen and there are sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. And then there's the interpretation that you can sort of interpret um, the, this this permeating hopelessness and the wicked attacking them you could 
almost say that you can interpret the wicked as depression or loneliness. You know, because in the end, it's not the wicked that kills them. It's them that kills themselves. So this loneliness that everyone is experiencing in this movie is, you know, ultimately the killer. And then there's also this amazing commentary on family units, sort of, where the brother and the sister, they grow up and they grow apart and they kind of don't have time for each other. They don't really, they don't really care too deeply about each other. You know, I think, or at least Michael doesn't, I think Louise cares more for Michael than Michael does for Louise. And she's crying on the phone and she's like, you're my brother. And he's like, you know, that doesn't matter. You know, we don't matter. You need to get out of there. And to me, it just kind of is reminiscent of how, that's kind of how families work in the Western cultures is we move away from each other, even though we've known each other for years, we grow up. We get our own lives, our own spouses, our own kids, and then we kind of just shuffle away from the people who were part of our family for so long. And so that's kind of, like, this movie, I think, has something to say about that as well. And then, like I said, there's the nurse who I can just talk for a whole episode about all the different interpretations of her and my initial reactions versus you know, second and third and fourth watching and just kind of like reading into what she stands for. Um, and I, I think that that's what fascinates me about this movie is there's just so many things it's doing and so many things that it's saying while also just being a horror movie. Um, and I, and I love it. Like I said, 15 out of 10, love this movie, highly recommend. And it was released in November Six. It was released, excuse me, on November 6th of 2020. So, uh, I don't know if y'all remember that time, but there's uh, not many people going to the movies at that time. So, it did not make much at the box office. Like, I, I, I don't even remember hearing or seeing anything about this movie. Which is crazy, because usually I get ads on, you know, something. Instagram or Twitter or something. But I heard absolutely nothing about it before or after its release. And it deserves way more love than it's got. It's very relatable plot, you know, where you're, you're going home to take care of someone who's dying. You're going home to take care of a family situation. And like I said, it was written and direct. It was actually written and directed by Brian Bertino, who clearly relates to these chaotic evil sort of stories where this evil just, it just strikes like a tornado or a force of nature. Um, and I think he does a really good job with them. It's just amazing storyline. Absolutely loved it. Um, highly recommend, like I said. Um, but that's all I've got for today. This was the Beware the Moon podcast. Thanks for listening in, guys, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, stay safe. Maybe stay away from guys hanging out at the end of your driveway in the rain. And always, Beware the Moon. Beware the Moon.